Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys, and welcome to another episode of Hollow Week. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. If you are unfamiliar with what Hollow Week is, Hollow Week is the only time of the year where we post back-to-back true crime episodes for the five days leading up to Halloween. It is the craziest time of the year, but it is the best time of the year. So make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are discussing the brutal, disturbing, and traumatizing murder of Tim McLean. Some of you may know this case as it is oftentimes referred to as the Greyhound bus killing. However, I had never heard of it until you guys suggested it for Halloween, and I could not believe what I was reading when I was researching this case. This is one of the most brutal killings that I have ever heard of. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Timothy Richard McLean was born on October 3rd, 1985 in Victoria, British Columbia. He grew up being known as an adventurous person who really loved traveling, and he was also a really friendly guy. He loved meeting new people. Tim's family actually said that Tim would job hop around a lot. He didn't like being committed to a job for too long, and when he was done with one job, he'd move on to the next, and the criteria for being done with one job and what Tim defined as being done with one job is when he had made all the friends that he could at that specific place of employment. So Tim was a very social person. He was said to have this absolutely magnetic personality, and he was always pulling pranks on people. He was very athletic. He was into soccer and football and also loved motorbiking. And if you can't tell by now, by the way that I'm describing Tim, he is the type of person that could never sit still. He was always up doing something. He was always down for an adventure. He was born to his mother, Carol, and his father, Timothy Sr. And Tim has a lot of siblings. He comes from a very, very big family. He has sisters Amanda, Vanna, Jade, and Katie, as well as his brothers Kendall and Donald. Now, Tim's parents were separated. They separated when Tim was a child, and they both went on to marry new people. And Tim also had a child. He has a young son right now. Tim's son was actually born five months after Tim's murder, so Tim never got the chance to meet his own child. The mother of Tim's son is a woman named Colleen, and Colleen and Tim actually met in the first grade. They were in the same elementary school, and Colleen was married before getting together with Tim, and after her marriage, she and Tim reconnected, and they had a little bit of a fling, which resulted in her getting pregnant, And after her divorce, her and Tim had a brief romantic relationship together. Now, in the year 2008, Tim had actually got a job as a carnival employee. His family said that this was the perfect job for Tim because it was loud and wild and there were constantly new people coming in and out. And so it was the perfect opportunity to meet new people. 
Now, Tim got to the carnival via a Greyhound bus. And if you don't know what a Greyhound bus is, a Greyhound bus is a common type of transportation. It's similar to most buses. However, the difference is that Greyhounds have rows of seats throughout the entire bus. So there's no standing in the middle of the bus. And there's a certain amount of rows in each bus with two seats in each row. Think of it like an airplane on a bus. And if you've ever been on a school field trip or taken a bus to travel when you're on a sports team going to different away games, that's more than likely the type of bus that you took. And so that's the same idea. So let's talk about what happened on July 30th, 2008. This was a Wednesday and for all things considered, this started out like any normal Wednesday for Tim. Now at the time, Tim was living in Winnipeg and the carnival that he worked at was in Edmonton. This was a long bus ride. It was well over 12 hours, but Tim was going home via a Greyhound bus. And this Greyhound bus was number 1170, and it was going to be driving along the Yellowhead Highway. Now, when Tim got on the bus, he found his seat in the back of the bus. He was sitting in the second to last row. And at 6.55 p.m., the bus made a stop in Ericsson. And this is when a new passenger boarded the bus. This passenger's name was Vince Lee. Vince was in his 40s at the time. He was a little bit on the taller side and he had a shaved head. He had a buzz cut as well as sunglasses. He wore the sunglasses throughout the entirety of the bus ride. Now, when Vince first boarded the bus, he was sitting in the front. So he was sitting in one of the first rows in the bus. And like I said, Tim was sitting in the second to last row. So they were nowhere near each other in the beginning. At about 8 o'clock p.m., the bus had pulled over to a rest stop, and this is when some of the passengers could get out if they wanted, they could stretch, do whatever, and Vince used this as an opportunity to get out of the bus and smoke a cigarette. Now, when Vince reboarded the bus after smoking this cigarette, instead of going back to the seat that he was originally sitting at, Vince decided to make his way to the back of the bus. Passengers who were sitting on the bus said that Vince walked his way all the way to the back of the bus while looking at each passenger as he was passing them. Now, Vince ended up stopping right when he got to Tim's row, and Tim was sitting at the time in this row all by himself, so he was sitting in the window seat, and the aisle seat was open, and this is when Vince decided to sit down next to Tim. According to other passengers on the bus, Vince and Tim made some eye contact. Tim gave him a little bit of a nod, acknowledging that he was there, and told Vince that he could sit next to him if he wanted, and that is when Vince took a seat. Now, when Vince took a seat, Tim didn't think much of it. He was actually using his window seat to his advantage and sleeping. He was resting his head up on the window, so when Vince sat down, he wasn't really paying too much attention to him, and he went back to resting. Now, when Vince first sat down next to Tim, he maintained a very quiet and distant demeanor. He wasn't talking, but he also wasn't doing anything either. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't listening to music. He was just 
sitting there, staring straight ahead. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. However, after a little bit of time had passed, there was a certain shift with Vince and he started to become very fidgety. He couldn't stop moving and he also started to chant. He was chanting a Chinese chant underneath his breath. And the reason that Tim didn't hear this chant, not only was he sleeping, but he also had headphones in his ear. So anything that Vince was doing, Tim could not pay attention to because he couldn't see it, nor could he hear it. Now, at first, passengers around Vince thought that his change in behavior was a little strange. However, they didn't think it was anything drastic or anything to worry about. That was until all of a sudden, Vince pulled out a knife and stabbed Tim in the neck. Passengers said that once Vince stabbed Tim in the neck, Tim let out a horrific scream and tried to fight him back. However, ultimately, Vince took over. Vince took the knife out of Tim's neck and continued to stab him in his shoulders, neck, and chest. Passengers on the bus who watched Vince do this say that Vince was very robotic in his motions. He was very mechanical. He wasn't saying anything. He wasn't screaming. It was very, very robotic. Now, the other passengers on the bus are obviously petrified at this point, and they scream at the bus driver to pull over, and the bus driver ultimately does pull over and put on the emergency brake, and all passengers rushed off of the bus except for Vince and Tim. Now, ultimately, there were two other men who then tried to get back on the bus to save Tim. However, Vince chased them off with a knife. Once Vince chased these two men off with the knife, he then locked himself in the bus with Tim while all the passengers were outside watching. Now, authorities were called at about 8.30 p.m., and during the time that it took authorities to get to the scene, Vince did the absolutely unthinkable. Vince completely decapitated Tim and showed his head on display to all of the passengers outside of the bus that were watching. After displaying Tim's head, he then went back to his body and started to eat Tim's flesh before then again picking up his head and parading it on the bus. He picked up the head in his hands and walked back and forth up and down the aisles on the bus showing everyone what he had just done. Vince then went back to Tim's body and began removing his organs. He ripped out Tim's heart, his lungs, and his liver. He then removed Tim's eyes out of his body and completely consumed them, as well as eating a part of Tim's heart. He then cut off Tim's nose and both of his ears and was seen just sitting there smelling them. 
Now, Vince seemed to be prepared for this attack because in the backpack that he was carrying onto the bus, he had several empty Ziploc bags and he used the Ziploc bags to store Tim's body parts in them. Now, police finally arrived on the scene and when they did, they took all of the passengers that were outside of the bus and took them to a safe and secluded area and after that happened instead of rushing on to the bus to get vince authorities waited outside of the bus for four hours trying to negotiate with him now police got a lot of heat for their decision to negotiate with vince for four hours because a lot of people thought and understandably so why on earth would you try to negotiate with someone like this someone in that state of mind who was committing that horrific of an act is not going to be in the mindset to negotiate with you Police defended their decision to negotiate with Vince by saying that they were just trying to reason with him. They knew that they had a very dangerous person on their hands and they didn't know what was going to happen if they just bombarded the bus. And this negotiation honestly probably would have gone on a lot longer if it wasn't for Vince trying to escape. After the four hours of negotiation, Vince broke open one of the windows on the bus and tried to run free. However, this is when police tased him down and he was also chased and bitten by a police dog. Once police finally got him on the ground, they were able to arrest him and they did have to take him to the hospital first instead of taking him directly to jail because he was bitten by the dog and he was tased. So it's protocol for authorities to immediately take him to the hospital before anything else. So that is the first place that he went. Now, before we move on to anything else, I want to stop and take a moment and talk about who Vince Lee is because we really didn't get into that. So in order to really understand everything about this case, it's important to understand every person that's involved. So let's talk about who Vince Lee is. Vince Lee was born in China on April 30th, 1968, and he graduated from the Wuhan Institute of Technology with a bachelor's degree in computing. From 1994 to 1998, he worked in Beijing as a computer software engineer before immigrating to Canada on June 11th, 2001. He officially became a Canadian citizen in 2006. Now, Vince was actually married. He had a wife named Anna and left her in Winnipeg to move to Edmonton for work in 2006. However, she soon joined him in Edmonton after that. Now, over time, their marriage unraveled and they ended up getting a divorce. Now, at the time of the murder, Vince had three jobs. He was working at a Walmart. He was also working at a fast food restaurant and he did newspaper delivery. Now, his boss from his delivery job described Vince as someone who was reliable, hardworking, and never showed any signs of trouble. Now, about a month prior to the murder, Vince ended up getting fired from his Walmart job because he apparently got into a fight with one of the other employees there. So what we know now is on July 28th, so on the days leading up to the murders, Vince actually got on a separate bus that was going from Edmonton to Winnipeg. He got on a bus that departed at 12.05 p.m. He ended up getting off of this bus at one of the rest stops. He got off a decent amount before he got there. And when he got off the bus, he had his three pieces of luggage and he stayed the night 
on a bench next to a grocery store. Now, according to a witness who saw Vince this night, Vince was seen at three o'clock in the morning, sitting straight up, looking straight ahead. So his eyes were wide open. He was just sitting on this bench, looking straight forward. Now, Vince was said to have stayed on this bench the entire night leading into the next morning. And the next morning, Vince actually sold his laptop to a 15-year-old boy for $60. And that was really the last known activity of Vince before he ended up getting on the bus with Tim. So that's what we really know about Vince. He never got into any big run-ins with the law before. He was never someone that police had their eye on or that was on their radar. So to go from someone who really had no record prior to this to someone who goes out and full-on decapitates someone and dismembers them and eats them is mind-blowing. There was never any stories that anyone had of Vince where after this happened, they looked back and said, oh, you know what? Now it kind of makes sense, or there's the link, or there's the missing piece. There was none of that. Now, Vince's trial began on March 3rd, 2009, and Vince ended up pleading not guilty to second degree murder. And not only did he plead not guilty, Vince also pled insanity. That way he would not have to stand trial. Now, let's talk about this second degree murder charge because I know there's probably a lot of you who are sitting there going, why on earth would he not get the fullest maximum punishment for what he did? But let's talk about what the difference is between first degree murder and second degree murder. So second degree murder takes place when the murder was not premeditated. However, it was intentional. And the difference between that and first degree is first degree is defined by a murder that was premeditated, that was thought out, that was planned. So even though Vince committed an act of cannibalism and he decapitated Tim, he only got a second degree murder charge because there was no evidence that showed that Vince planned this attack prior to it happening. Now, from the beginning, no one really ever argued that Vince was battling some sort of mental illness because no one who does this is 100% sane. No one who does this is in their right mind. However, that's not really the question that's looked at when you look at someone who's pleading insanity. The real question that's looked at is, did they know right from wrong? Did they know that what they were doing was wrong and were they aware of what was going on now after meeting with the psychiatrist it was ruled that vince actually was not fit to stand trial due to an untreated diagnosis of schizophrenia after this diagnosis vince was put on medication and put into a mental treatment facility called selkirk mental health center so just to clarify vince did not have to stand trial and he did not have to go to prison he served a couple years at the selkirk mental health center and four years after the murder he actually did his first interview so let's talk about this interview. During this interview, Vince stated that he was 44 years old and that both of his parents at the time were still alive and he has a brother and a younger sister. Now, what blew my mind here is that Vince actually said in this interview that both of his siblings are well aware of the murder that he committed. However, his parents are not. 
He said that his parents have no idea what he did, and I'm sure that's due to the fact that they still are living in China. And Vince also said that he started experiencing symptoms of schizophrenia in 2004. However, he did not know what that was. He knew that something was wrong and he knew that something was going on, but he didn't know what necessarily that was and he didn't know how to help himself. And mind you, again, this murder happened in 2008. So that was four years leading up to this. A direct quote from Vince is, quote, I didn't know what it was. I now know what it is. I began to hear voices that normal people don't hear. I thought I heard the voice of God telling me to write down my journey. The voice told me that I was the third story in the Bible. I was to save people from a space alien attack. That is why I traveled around the country. I'm not sure of all the places I went to. I now know that it was schizophrenia that I was suffering from." End quote. Now, when asked about why he did what he did, why he committed this murder, he said, quote, I bought a knife at Canadian Tire. I bought it for any emergency, for the journey, to protect myself from the aliens. I was really scared. I believed he was an alien. The voices told me to kill him, that he would kill me or others. I do not believe this now. It was totally wrong. It was my fault. I sinned, but it was the schizophrenia." End quote. So what's interesting here is we now learn from Vince is that from him traveling from Edmonton to Winnipeg was him on this journey from what he thought was saving himself from aliens and from the demons that he was battling in his own head. That's why he was taking the Greyhound bus. That was the whole purpose of it. And it is interesting hearing him say now, four years later, that he does know it was totally wrong and that he does know what he did was wrong because that is the basis of the insanity plea is not knowing right from wrong. So to hear him say now that he does know it was wrong because now he's on this medication for schizophrenia is an interesting comparison. Now, when asked what Vince felt about the murder, he said he felt nervous, painful, and embarrassed. And he also said again that it was wrong. In this interview, he said that he doesn't think that he will ever kill again. And he also said that he wished that police would have killed him the night of the murder. And while he says that he wished police did kill him on that Greyhound bus the night of the murder, he said that he's very thankful that they didn't. Vince continues on in this interview by talking about how grateful he is for his medication and how grateful he is to not have to deal with the symptoms of schizophrenia that he was experiencing before. However, regardless of this newfound relief for not having to deal with these symptoms, Vince said that he was not happy and that he would never be happy because he will never be able to forget the murder on the Greyhound bus. Now, here's where we get to the frustrating part, because this is now something that we have seen a lot in the cases that we have covered. And every time I talk about it, when we talk about it, I say, I don't know why they're doing this and you guys seem to agree with me i see your guys's comments you say it's mind-blowing that these people are getting these types of privileges and they're not being treated as dangerous when they're committing the most horrific dangerous acts we just saw this in the carissa boudreau case so let's talk about this one so three years into vince's treatment at selkirk he started getting 
some privileges. His doctors started giving him some privileges by giving him supervised visits into the town. I've noticed that this is something that America does not do, to my knowledge. Any case that I've covered that has been in America, I've never seen them do. However, we have seen this in Canada and we've seen it in Germany. So it must be an international thing because here it is again, Vince is getting supervised visits into the town and that was three years into his stay. And then two years later, so five years into his stay at Selkirk, his privileges were extended and he got unsupervised visits into the town. These visits started at 30 minutes and then worked their way up to being full days of Vince being able to go into the town and walk around and kind of start to integrate himself into society again. And seven years after the murder of Tim McLean, Vince Lee was released from the psychiatric facility, basically on good behavior, and was sent off to live on his own again. So he is currently free. He even was assisted on getting his name legally changed. His new name is Will Baker, and he is living in Winnipeg by himself in an apartment. Now, as you can imagine, this created a giant uproar and a very interesting debate that, again, I'm looking to get your opinion on. And I think I know where you guys are going to lean based off of the previous conversations that we've had on this. But here is where the debate lies, because on one side, you have the argument of due to the horrific nature of the crime and due to the brutality of it and how gruesome it was, Vince should not be allowed, especially after only seven years, to go on and start a new life and get a new name and be able to live life again and start fresh. While he'll never probably be able to move past this, he's getting every opportunity to act like it never happened. I don't think that anyone could argue that Vince did not need psychiatric help. I think it was great that he went to the facility to get help. However, he's not getting that same enforcement. Who's to say that Vince isn't going to stop taking his medication? But then you have the second side of this debate, which is that Vince committed this horrific act under an undiagnosed mental illness that he was not being treated for. So technically, it wasn't him committing the murder. It was the schizophrenia that was doing it. And now that he has it under control, he should be allowed to go on and start life again and have the freedom to try and better himself. So that is both sides of the argument. That's the debate that's at stake right now is do you think that Vince should have remained in a psychiatric facility for longer than seven years? Do you think he should have went to jail or do you think that it's fine that he's free? Personally, I think you all know where I stand on this just because I've talked about it so much, but just to reiterate, I find it baffling that Vince is walking around free under a new name. I don't understand what it is with these murderers getting this clean slate, fresh start. We saw it in the James Bulger case. We saw it in the Carissa Boudreaux case. We saw it in the cannibalism case that we did a couple months ago. It's mind blowing to me that these murderers are getting assisted in starting fresh. I don't get it. But with that being said, I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about this one. So that, you guys, is this episode of Halloween. 
All right, you guys, that is going to be all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct and to another episode of Halloween. Again, if you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah Brimer, and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and then every Thursday on YouTube. Also, make sure you go ahead and share this episode with a friend. The more exposure we get on these cases, the better chance we have at bringing justice to the victims. I will be back tomorrow with a brand new case for you guys, and I will see you then. Stay safe, guys.